This is the Queensland Department of Education podcast. Hi, my name is Virginia Bowditch from the Department of Education. In this podcast series on dispute management, we talked three principles about dealing with conflict. Most people's minds jump to negative thoughts when they face a conflict, but it is possible to achieve positive outcomes if conflict is managed effectively. My guests today are Kim McNamara, Principal West End State School, and Peter Johnston, Dispute Mediator from the Department's Principal Complex Matters Referral Team. Kim and Peter will discuss the sorts of conflicts that can arise in schools and some strategies they have found work in managing school conflict effectively. Thanks for joining me, Kim and Peter. Can we start with you, Kim? How long have you been a principal and in what locations have you worked? Hello, um, I've been the principal at West End State School most recently for five years. And prior to that, I was at Boondle State School for three and at Kelvin Grove State College for five. So that's a total of 13 years as a principal. What have you learned about conflict in your years as a principal? My biggest learning, I think, is that there is often a deeper, sometimes unrelated issue at hand, Um, whether that be that there's a personal issue sitting behind it, whether it's the experiences of the people sitting in front of me and the experiences they had at school, or sometimes it's just that they've got certain values and beliefs that aren't sitting right uh, with them and that they're coming to sort that out with me. What are the issues you have found most frequently leads to conflict between parents or caregivers and school principals? So most often it's around their children. Usually it's around the classroom teacher or a perception that there's been an injustice towards their child, whether it be from another student or the teacher themselves. But most cases are about the actual, their actual children. What types of skills and strategies have you had to learn to assist in managing conflicts more effectively? Probably the biggest one is deep listening. So listening without any interruption. Making sure that the parent or caregiver has the opportunity to say what's really on their mind. I think as teachers, we often jump into the problem-solving mode straight away. And my experience as a principal has been, and it's something that I've really worked on and I believe I'm a lot better at, is actually just listening. And while I'm listening, trying to understand what it is they're really trying to say. So looking at their mental models around what is it they truly believe, what are they valuing, you know, where are they coming from and helping me to understand what the problem is. I've learned not to interrupt in that deep listening time. As I say, it's very quick to jump to the, I can solve that because in my brain often I've solved it already whether that be a good thing or a bad thing, but not interrupting them, so that true deep listening. The other one is opening is open-ended questions. So uh, one of my favourite prompts is, tell me more about that, and just making sure that I really have all the information before we do come up with some actions to follow up. And finally, uh, it is about that follow-up, is making sure I do follow up, that at the end of the discussion with the parent that we have some clear follow-up actions. I always ask the parent, you know, have I addressed the issues that you've come to see me about? Is there anything else that they wanted me to know? Uh, And then I put it in my diary to make sure that I follow up with those actions and feedback to the parent afterwards. And do you find most parents are receptive to that? 
Yeah, I, I have a pretty good track record. That probably sounds a little confident. Um, but, yeah, I, it's been a long, you know, 13 years doing this job and seven years before that being a deputy principal where you deal with a lot of conflict um, has really taught me, I guess, what works and what doesn't work. I think when I was a, particularly a deputy principal, I was very much in that solution phase. I wanted you to solve the problems and do it really quickly and move on to the next thing. But what you do when you do that is you very much only attack the surface. You're not actually getting to the root cause of the problem. Can you tell me a success story, a conflict you've managed successfully and something that's had a positive outcome? Yeah, I really pondered that question because um, I guess they're all successful at the end of the day. Any time in which I've solved a problem or worked with the parent for a solution or bridged a gap between a teacher and the parent or, you know, whatever the circumstances are, and then I walk past them in the playground and they've got a smile or, you know, they drop off a pickup, then that's a success for me. So I can't think of one in specifically, but there's been many over the years. And for me, the success is when they actually become a partner with us in, their, in the education of their child so that they haven't cut ties, you know, they're not looking for the negatives or the deficits in our school and our relationship, but in fact become our partners um, and it's become a very positive relationship. To me, that's the, that's the true measure of the success. Peter, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience in managing conflict? Yeah, Virginia, I've been a professional mediator for about 30 years now. I've worked in lots of different environments, uh, in Queensland in particular. I've worked for courts and tribunals, done neighbourhood disputes, workplace disputes, uh, some mining conflicts and even health issues. And, you know, some of those environments that I've worked in are very technically complex and others are driven more by relationships and emotions and some are both. All of those different disputes I mentioned, they're all different and challenging in their own ways. What I'm noticing in education we see a high level of emotion and investment, both from parents, yes, and you can understand, but also schools and school staff in relation to the, the well-being and education of, of children. And, and that's, uh, that's something that we have to deal with in, in dealing with these conflicts. In your experience, where do you think people most often go wrong in managing the conflicts they find themselves in? I, I think there's two main things that uh, we see. One is that people tending to wait too long to act. And so lots of people will choose to avoid a dispute until they absolutely have to, to deal with it. And by that time, it's, it's often the case that it's very difficult to manage. You then have layers of issues. You don't just have a single issue or maybe two issues. You've got 10 issues. Uh, and that can be very difficult to unwrap and, and manage. My advice to people would be get in early uh, and try and resolve disputes before they become entrenched and more complex than they need to be. The second thing is, and I think Kim alluded to this before in her own experience, that people tend to be more inclined to talk than listen. We tend to be very preoccupied with wanting to tell people how it is rather than actually trying to understand where they're coming from. I think it was Winston Churchill who said, it takes courage to stand up and speak, but sometimes it takes more courage to sit down and listen. And I think that's, um, you know, that's very true. So I always encourage people to start with the listening. People are then more likely to listen to you uh, when you want to say what you have to say. Is resolving conflict just about being able to effectively compromise with the other party? No, we use the compromise word and, and it is okay. Um, and that's what people often think that, um, you know, conflict management or resolution is about. And, and sometimes, to be honest, it's the only way of reaching a, an outcome. But compromise tends to focus on positions. What's my position? What's your position? And we tend to go into that give and take mode of negotiation and, and try and find that middle ground. But to be honest, we never fully achieve our preferred outcomes when we simply compromise. 
true win-win, if you like, comes from collaborating with the other person, actually working together to find a mutually beneficial solution rather than just simply chipping away at the other person. Collaboration, uh, it does require us to speak to our underlying interests, not just what we want. Uh, it does take time, but if we can do it well, and that's what we try and achieve in mediation, it usually leads to more creative solutions and better relationships for everyone. What do you consider to be the critical skills in effectively dealing with others in a conflict situation? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's many things that we can do, but I'm, I'm going to narrow it down to, to three. The first is those listening skills that I, I mentioned just before, enabling you to really understand what the other person is saying. And, and I think Kim made a really good point earlier about that mindful listening, not just listening superficially, but really taking the time to clear your mind and fully appreciating and acknowledging what the other person is saying and where they're coming from. Listening also entails, of course, paraphrasing to confirm and, and demonstrate your understanding of what the other person is saying. So if we, can, if we can do that, if we can listen mindfully, if we can get a really good appreciation of where the other person comes from, we're really off to a good start. The second thing, I, a skill I would talk about is questioning skills. So once we've listened, yeah, it's time to ask some questions and gain a better understanding. Whilst we've heard what the person has, has, has had to say, um, there might be some follow-up. So why is that so important to you? And, and what exactly do you mean by that? Some questions there to, to get a deeper understanding and, and also make sure there's no misunderstandings. The last thing I'd say is important is, is assertiveness skills. What do I mean by assertiveness? People are either often passive or aggressive. They either don't say anything or they're too forceful in the way that they put things. So if we can develop our assertiveness skills, and, and what I mean by that is how do we express our needs in a way where we stand up for our own needs, but we're also respectful of others' needs as well. So I think, I think that's a useful skill to have as well. What role does trust between parties play in successfully managing potential conflicts? It is a massive part, uh, Virginia. Time and again, we see it's much easier to have the difficult conversation with people um, if you're in that conflict situation where there's an existing level of trust between the parties. So if trust doesn't exist, that conversation is much more difficult. One of the things that I constantly encourage principals to do every day is to do what they can to build up trust with parents and other stakeholders in the school community. How do we do that? It's easier said than done. The first thing I would say is communicate proactively. So communicate, communicate, communicate. It's a natural tendency that people will tend to make up negative stories if they're not informed. If you're not communicating and taking every opportunity to do so, people will make up their own reality. The second point I would say in terms of developing trust is, and this is probably contrary to what we normally hear, under-promise and over-deliver. So frequently I think we want to make a good impression and so we promise the world and we can't actually deliver it. And so I'm, I'm frequently hearing from parents, the school didn't do this and they didn't do that. I think we um, are realistic about what we can do and then over-deliver on their expectations. That's going to develop trust. And the last thing I would say about developing uh, trust and rapport is don't be afraid where it's appropriate to be vulnerable. And, and what do I mean by that? It's about acknowledging mistakes where you can, where it's appropriate, where it's reasonable, you know, be honest and say, yeah, look, we didn't do that as well as we could. We're going to do it better in future. As I said, I think that that honesty and that transparency and that vulnerability ultimately leads to, to an increased level of trust. Kim, do you think these skills that Peter and you have mentioned are reserved just for the work environment or can they be used elsewhere? I think that they can be used everywhere. I'm raising two girls, 25 and 20 year old, and I use it all the time with them. I don't know if my husband would say I use them as well with him, but 
I don't think it's reserved just for, you know, my, my work as a principal. I think it's, it's life skills. I think we've lost the ability to deep listen and to really listen to, to people and what they're going through and understand them um, so fully. And I think if we all do that, then life would certainly be a lot easier. Thanks for your time today, Kim. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for asking me. And thanks to you too, Peter. Thanks, Virginia. It's been great to be involved. You have been listening to a Queensland Department of Education podcast. The Department of Education acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands from across Queensland. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present, for they hold the memories, the traditions, the culture and hopes of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.